want to remind you again what series we're in. We're, uh, we're walking through Colossians 3, and we've been looking at divine love. There's a huge difference between the love that God gives, the love that God has, and human love. God's love is perfect, and that love changes everything about us once we experience it and receive it for ourselves. There are four, at least four, uh, fundamental aspects of a society or culture that leads to its thriving. We've talked about two of them so far. We've talked about marriage. We've talked about family. This morning, we're going to talk about vocation. We're going to talk about work. And next week, we're going to talk about government. And so you need to be praying for that sermon because, oh, is there a lot to be said about government these days. Uh, but this morning, I want to talk about this idea of vocation. And see, once, once we come to know the love of God, the way we work, why we work, how we work, it all changes. Now, I know some of you uh, children, you're thinking, okay, good, uh, finally, a sermon that does not apply to me. I'm not working. I don't have to listen to this today. I am glad I'm going to take a nap. Wrong. Young people, you need to hear this because you are right now uh, beginning to experience a, a, a sense of understanding of how God has wired you. You're beginning to understand something of your abilities. Your parents are correcting things about you. You're, you're, if you're in school, you're beginning to see some of the things that you're really good at, some of the things you like, don't like. All of that has to do with what God is doing with you. And I know some of you are on the other end of that spectrum. You're thinking, good, I'm retired. I don't have to listen to this anymore. But I, I've talked to many of you retired folks, and some of you are thinking, man, I sure would like to get back to work where I didn't have to work so hard. This retirement business is rough. Honeydews and everything else is enough to keep a man and a woman very, very busy. So listen, we all have work. How we work, why we work, it, it needs to come out of a sense of our understanding of who God is and what work is. Understand, work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. When God made humanity in His image, he placed the, this, this man, in, in, in particular at the beginning, in a garden. And before sin entered the world, before there was a curse, there was work. Look at this. This is Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Work was a part of paradise. Work was a part of the blessing of being made in the image of God. Now, what we know about the Garden of Eden was that it was a particular geographical place that had a single entrance that could be guarded by an angel. We know that God later put Eve and that they were responsible to populate the planet. We talked about family last week, and we talked about marriage beforehand, where all that happens in the context of. But there would need to be more space. Here was God's will from the beginning that there would be an image bearer that would populate the planet in, in his name for his glory, and his glory would cover the earth. The Garden of Eden was never meant to be a single location on the planet. It was meant to be tended and worked so that it would cover the planet. And as it grew and expanded, the image bearers that would populate the planet would live in this paradise. Now that's not what happened. Because sin entered the world, we were excluded from that paradise. We now live in a fallen place and there's a lot of pain. And that what's, that's what makes work hard. But work is still good. 
And what we see in our text today is, is why it is we work, how it is we are to work for those who experience divine love. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to our text for today, which is Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 22 through 24. Kimber's going to read for us, so let's all stand together in honor of God's Word as Kimber comes to read for us the verses I'm going to explain today. So again, Colossians chapter 3, we're in verses 22 through 24. Kimber, go ahead and read that. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Good job, Kimberly. If you guys would, go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> Past couple of weeks, we've been looking at these core key relationships. We, we, we talked about marriage. And we noted that marriage was a fundamental aspect of God's created order. It was within God's perfect will. Last week we looked at family, one of the fundamental institutions of, of, of organized systems within the human uh, ecosystem. God made us for family. We see in our text today something man-made something that is not in the will of God, and that is slavery. Slavery was created by human beings, and it does not represent God's will from creation. The scriptures regulate it, but never commend it. The evil of trafficking in human beings is listed in the New Testament as among the most heinous of all sins. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. Look at this listing. The sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers. That is not a positive list. Slavery, slavery is not God's will. And to use Scripture as a means to support slavery is a misuse of Scripture. Now, it's easy to look back at the atrocity of slavery that is so evil and be tempted to condemn those who participated in it and those who did little, if anything, to try and stop it. But what we got to remember is that, like them, we are frogs in a kettle. And by that, I mean we basically accept what culture we're in and, and just accept it for what it is, that it is a part of culture. We need to understand that for millennia, slavery was normal. Slavery in biblical times was normal. Slavery at the founding of our nation, well before the founding of our nation, was normal. Does that make it right? No. Praise God, it is gone. The slavery that we knew that was based on racism and, 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 the, and the, the work of this, of this evil atrocity of, of human beings being used the way they were. But understand, it wasn't just white Southerners. There's a whole system of evil here. There were those who were Africans who were catching and then selling their own countrymen. There are those who were not only capturing and selling, but then sending them and taking them and, and making money off. And then there were those who were actually profiting and, and causing the harm and the hurt to the family system and to those who were a part of it. This was not just in North America. This was in North America, South America, Africa, Europe, Eurasia. It was all over the world. And before we get too comfortable with ourselves, let's remember 
that we live in a city where there is human trafficking. Over Memorial Day weekend, I understand that our authorities reported that there were well over a thousand individuals who were trafficked in sex trafficking in our own city. I pray for the day when, and I pray that day is soon, when people will look at us and our culture and they will wonder in disbelief how we could allow something so atrocious as the killing of millions of babies in their mother's wombs to take place. I I hope soon that there are those who would wonder how could we allow something so simple as marriage to be redefined or how we could allow something so obvious as biological gender to be so confusing or how we could allow something so horrible as human sex trafficking to be ignored. Before we point fingers and cast blame, We need to be careful to understand that we live in a society today where we are way too accepting of some of the most horrific things that can happen to a human being. When we read about slavery, particularly in the New Testament, understand it is is not commended. As in any other city in the Roman world, there would have been slaves at Colossae. As a matter of fact, you can read about the the whole industry in Philemon. But notice what Paul does in our text today. He treats these folks with dignity. He appeals to their capacity to choose and he directs them to honor Christ in their hearts and their work and their behavior. Now these slaves in Roman times were often middle-class professional people. You know, we often think of slavery as we understood it in the, in the South and North America. And that is not this, what, what, what is being described here. The folks that are being described, these bond servants, as you'll see in verse 22 as they are named, these were individuals who were able to provide a trade or produce goods and services that were needed and wanted. And they would have maybe be tempted to think that they were just a cog in the economic machine. And it may very well be that many of you sitting here today, those who are listening now may even think, you know what, my work doesn't matter. I'm just a cog in this huge economic machine. It has very little to do with God. It has everything to do with industry and and what I choose and the circumstances in which I work. And I want to tell you that is not true. As Christians, our work matters. It matters because of God's divine love. We are free to work in a unique and powerful way that honors God. When we think about salvation, we talk about it in three circles. We talk about having repented and believed the gospel. When we recover and pursue God's design, a big part of God's design for our life is our work. That work is a gift. That work is an opportunity to experience many of the good things, the best things in life. You and I were made for a particular purpose. We were saved for a particular purpose. We read that in Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says here. Again, writing about our salvation, the Holy Spirit used him to tell us that for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God as a result of works so that no one can boast. So why were we saved? so that we can be his workmanship, for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for, look at this, good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works, acts of righteousness that he has prepared for us. A part of your life is the work that God has prepared for you that you might, within that work, perform the, the, the acts of righteousness that bring glory to God. Work 
is an important place whereby we experience the love of God and shine that love and experience the goodness that God made us for. Now, as it pertains to work, three things I want you to take note of. You know, work is a means to at least three things. One is to extend common grace. Common grace. What is that? Common grace is a theological term that we use that basically describes God's kindness given to all creation. See, God made human beings to work. And a part of the work that we are able to do, the common grace of it, is that it gives us a sense of purpose. It allows us to provide something that is meaningful to other people. It allows us to provide for the needs of our lives and that of our families and to be able to give to other people. Even those who are not Christian understand the the power of philanthropic activity. We who are saved, we know that there is nothing greater we can give to than God's church and the work that takes the gospel to the ends of the earth. But even those who don't believe understand that work is meant to be good. It's meant to be a meaningful aspect of our lives. That's what common grace does. It's God's goodness to all people, whether they believe or not. When the Apostle Paul on his first missionary journey came to Lystra, he was making disciples and he happened to perform a miracle. And that made the residents of that city think that he was a God, lowercase g. And so he had to preach to them and proclaim the gospel to them and to explain who God is. And in so doing, gave us a great, a great explanation of common grace. In Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 16, again, the apostle Paul preaching to the people at Lystra says, in past generations, he, this is God, allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with with food and gladness. Rains, fruitful seasons, uh, food, gladness, all this is common grace. I know some of you may be wondering, is God withholding common grace from Kentucky with no rain? But even that is a blessing. I mean, all this sunshine, almost 100 degrees, yeah. It's better than 20. In February, we're going to miss this stuff. I'm going to tell you that right now. But this is common grace. Work is a, is a way of, of, of there being good that's given to all. You think about how you got here today. Think about the transportation. Think about the mode in particular, whether it was a car or whether it was your shoes alone. That, is, that shows you some of the common grace. What, what provided that? Well, there were... There were surely materials that came from different places on this planet that have provided not only your shoes, but probably your car. And you think about all that has happened to make that possible. What kind of jobs were produced by that? What kind of people were they who created the materials, came up with the ideas for plastic and metals and how they were paid for that? And then the people that actually put the materials together to form the vehicles. And then for those who sold them, for those who transported them, for those who now use them, and they use them for other ways of of providing income for themselves and for other people. This is common grace. This is the common good. Work provides good for all of a culture because work is good. Now, also note, work is a means to express saving grace. It's not just to extend common grace in the work that we do, but it's express saving grace. See, God's people are to fulfill the Great Commission where they work. What is the Great Commission? Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Every Christian is responsible to make disciples. When we talk about ourselves as a church family, we like to say we're a family of disciples making disciples. Every Christian who has been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone is commanded to go and make disciples, to tell other people about what Jesus Christ has done for them. And it only makes sense that you would do that in your workplace. See, who would be more effective in reaching a teacher than a teacher? Who would be more effective in, in making a disciple than someone who's an engineer in reaching engineers? Or a mom talking to another stay-at-home mom? Or, or to a salesperson to salesperson? I remember when I first came to, to understand something of the gospel, I was sitting in church, a church like this, and I was listening to a man whose calling work it was to explain the gospel. And I'm so pleased that some of you are here today. You're not a part of our church family. You don't share our faith, but you're here. And, and, and maybe you came by yourself. Maybe you came with someone else who invited you, but you're here and you're hearing the, the outworking of my work. But you know, for me, before I came to faith, before I would listen to anyone else, I needed to know that there was something about it. So as a student, I saw other students who didn't talk like me and act like me and weren't mad like me and didn't treat people like I treated people. Instead, there was something different about them. And when I found out that they went to church and they invited me to their church, it gave the message of the guy who was talking that day more authority because I trusted them. Friends, where you work, you have earned a reputation. You are earning a reputation. And that place of work is meant to be a place where you can shine as the light of Christ. It's where you can show what God does in the life of someone he loves. And as you shine and as you make disciples and as you share Christ, it's going to give the message that I preach more authority. It's going to give scripture a, a much bigger place of importance in another person's life. And friends, that's your greatest responsibility. Our greatest responsibility in the world is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And there is an important place that that needs to happen. And that's in your place of work, whether you're a student or whatever it is your vocation is today. The third thing is this. Work is a means to experience sanctifying grace. See, God's people are compelled by God's love to be more like Jesus. And work is a means to reveal that love, to reveal and to experience that love, that change that needs to happen. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all. Why? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, was for their, uh, who for their sake died and was raised. Why did Jesus die? So that, that we might no longer live for ourselves. God has given us something greater to live for. And it is his glory. It is his goodness. God's goal for every one of his children is that we would become more and more like Jesus. And the same gospel that saved us is the same gospel that's going to, again, this theological term, sanctify us, make us more and more like Jesus. So when we think about the three circles, we need to be very careful to understand this is not just for those who do not know Jesus Christ. Now, surely, if you're not a believer today, if you don't trust Jesus Christ, let me explain to you. God's design is perfect. He made us to be in harmony with himself. 
We've all sinned and we've created and we live in brokenness. If today you're dealing with tragedy or pain, I can assure you it's, it, the, the source of it is sin. And, and you have sinned and, and we have all sinned. But the good news, and that's really what the word gospel means, is that God has come to pay for our sin, to give us access to God that we lost with sin. And if we'll repent, that is turn away from trusting ourselves and and believe in Jesus, we can recover and pursue God's design. Now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as you begin to pursue and recover God's design, particularly in your workplace, you know what you're going to find at work in your flesh? Sin. You're going to find difficult people. How many of you, uh, just a show of hands, would say, yes, where I go to school, where I go to work, there are those people. Difficult, challenging people. Show of hands. Really, y'all must live in perfect places. Wake up. Wake up. Who of you were, I'm going to ask the question again. I don't, maybe you didn't understand it because all the other services, everyone's hands went up. I don't know if you guys are like living in perfect places. If you are, let me know because I'd like to know where you work. But everywhere else, there are difficult, challenging people where you go to school and work. Come on. There we go. Now, another show of hands. How many of you know that you are a difficult and challenging person that, Hey, y'all's hands actually went up more than the other services. You're, you're confessional people. That's good. That's good because you are. See, what's happening is this. When you're at work and you're facing difficulties and you're realizing that you're part of the problem, you're, you're, you're recognizing sin in your own life. And you're realizing the brokenness that it's causing. And so what, what you and I, what we need to do is we need to repent and believe the gospel, not for salvation, but for sanctification. That is, we say, I know that this is not why Jesus died for me. This is not the way he wants me to live. So I'm going to repent of that, not to be saved, but so that I can become more like Jesus. And I'm going to pursue and recover God's design. That process will make us more and more like Jesus. And his love will become more and more real to us. And that love will compel us. Our text shows us three things that God's love compels us, that compels us to to work in. First of all, note this. God's love compels us to work in the fear of the Lord. His love compels us toward fear. Isn't that interesting? But with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Friends, God does not call us to, to live in fear of people or circumstances. And if there's any place where we might be tempted to fear people and circumstances, it would certainly be work. Difficult bosses, difficult employees, difficult colleagues, difficult clients, difficult economic conditions, difficult circumstances. For me, it might be, I know it's hard to imagine at Living Hope, difficult church members. All of them are there. All are there for a purpose. And that is to do this. It's to call us to realize behind it all, God is bigger. The world is always trying to intimidate us. The world is always trying to tell us our God is small, but our problem is big. What's going on at work, the economic conditions, all this stuff is big. Can I tell you God is bigger? And if God wants to take your job, that's not hard for him. If he wants to shut down your country, that's not hard for him. If he wants to take down the entire world economic system, that is not hard for him at all. He is the sovereign God Almighty. But for those of us who believe, he loves us. And it is a very small thing for him to provide for us. 
It is a very small thing for him to guide us in truth and to enable us to experience him and the fullness of what he wants to do. But you know where that happens? It happens in the heart of the person who chooses to fear God alone. Who doesn't say, oh, poor pitiful me, what am I gonna do now? What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? What am I gonna get them to do? What am I gonna get? Friends, look beyond the one who transcends all things. We who are the children of God get to call to our Father and say, Father, help. Father, provide. Father, I fear you. I don't fear this person. I don't fear this circumstance. I don't fear what's going on. I fear you, and I trust in you. And I'm asking you out of respect for your sovereign care. Second thing, God's love compels us to work with a heart for the Lord. I love verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You know, one of the most liberating things for Christians is to know that that we are doing what we do for God. Now, I don't know about you, but over the years I've had difficult coaches, difficult professors, difficult bosses, difficult people to to work with. And, and, And through it all, what I have found most liberating is to understand I don't do any of what I do first and foremost for them. I do it first and foremost because I love God. Now, I love you. I love our church family. And it is an honor and it is a privilege to serve you. But my service is first and foremost because of my love for God. And I do appreciate you. I love it. Whenever, whenever I'm preaching something and, and it and appears to be uh, maybe a, 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 a little difficult or maybe there, there might be a negative response, I love how, living, how, how you are so kind to me. You always send me encouragement. You know, if, if you're concerned, like, oh, I bet some people are going to send them some ugly emails on that. You guys will send me extra emails, I think, just to offset what you think are the, the negative ones, you know? Or the people that are, that are sending me the negative mail, you send me M&Ms, which are always appreciated. <laughs> it encourages my heart. But I want to I tell you, one of the things that really liberates me is, is this, is that I don't, have to, I don't have to live under the fear of how everyone's going to respond. Here's my my hope. Here's my joy. Here's my strength. The joy of the Lord of simply preaching his word. See, here's the thing. I fear God more than I fear anybody else. And I love God more than than I love anything else. And here's here's what that liberates me to do. No matter how mad it may make somebody, no matter what people may say about me, all I have to do is preach the truth that is found in this word. And you know what pleases him? That's all I have to worry about. You know what is great for you who believe? You don't have to worry about what everyone else thinks. You don't have to get caught up in what will be the outcome. See, I don't have to worry about how you've chosen or how you will choose to respond to today's message. That's not my problem. That's yours. See, the good news is all I have to do is honor God and do it out of my love for him. Same as for you. All you have to do is work unto the Lord. All you have to do is work out of your love for God. And you know what that makes it makes so easy? Is, is to love difficult people you work with, to love difficult clients, to love difficult bosses, because you're able to love them the same way God loved you. Believe it or not, we aren't real easy to love. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
It wasn't because we deserve God's love. It was grace. And the same love God's given to us, we get to give it to other people and we get to work with a heart for the Lord, which is absolutely liberating. And lastly, God's love compels us to work for the reward in the Lord. And there's a great reward. Look what it says in verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Friends, the story of God is unfolding right in front of us. We are in the midst of this grand reality described by the Bible. God created all things in harmony, but the world is not as it should be because we sinned and because now we live under the consequences of the fall. We needed rescue. And you know what? God promised, he promised that he would rescue us. God promised that he himself would come and rescue us. And Jesus Christ has come. And what you can see in the scripture over and over are the promises that Jesus Christ would come. I mean, think about this. The scripture promised that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would come out of Egypt, but he would be raised in Nazareth. How in the world would that be possible? It confounded and confused the scholars of Jesus' day. But that's exactly what happened. He was born in Bethlehem. He escaped to Egypt. He came up out of Egypt to live in Nazarene, uh, Nazareth to become a Nazarene. All of that according to the word of God. Now, not only did God's word promise that Jesus would come to rescue us, God's Bible promised that Jesus Christ is coming again. That he's going to come again and he's going to restore all things. Matthew 24 is one of the most terrifying chapters in the entire Bible. Because it talks about the return of Jesus Christ. For those who believe, this is the, this is the moment we're all living for. Matthew chapter 24 beginning in verse 42 says this. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on or what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus Christ is coming again. When Christ returns, he will not come to bring salvation. When Jesus Christ comes again, he will come to bring salvation judgment. Now let me explain judgment for the church. I'm not talking about hell, although that is a very serious issue those of you who do not believe need to come to terms with. Either you believe in it or you don't. Either Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from it or you don't. And then you will have to deal with the consequences eternally of that. There is a judgment that is coming for those of us who believe. We read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I, wanna, I want you to pay very close attention to the pronouns. 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we. Who's we? Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to born-again believers. He's writing to people who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, have been baptized, and have placed their membership at the local church that, is there, that was there at Corinth. We, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
Christians, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, do not and will not stand before God in judgment for sin. We will stand before God in judgment for our, our obedience. We will give an account for how we did or did not obey God. The Lord God has called us to make disciples in our places of work. The Lord God has called us to use our lives to bring Him glory and to do that wherever we go. As you are going, make disciples. As you are going, be the light of the world. We are to be His ambassadors. How are you doing in that? How are you doing in what God has called you to do? This work that God has provided. Now, now understand, and, and this is so important that, to, to get, that God has called each of us to a work based on two things, all right? First of all, our gifts and abilities. The Lord has gifted all of us differently, and he's provided abilities in different ways. A couple of weeks ago when I was really working through the, this, coming back to the sermon to prepare it for today, I was overwhelmed by God's provision for my life. I mean, for, for, for a kid who was the son of a truck driver and a broken home where there was no discussion about college and church and pastorate and all this other stuff that I, I went through, it's, it's, it's sort of a miracle that I can stand on the stage and do what God has called and gifted me to do. He provided an undergraduate degree, a master's degree, and a doctorate degree, all of which I could not afford and certainly could not have done were it not for other men and women of God who helped me. All of this was the provision of God. Never would have done it on my own, never could have done it on my own. So what I see is, is this, the gifts and abilities that God gave me and you need to think about the gifts and abilities God's given you. Can everyone in the room attest to the fact that not one of us chose who our mom and dad is? Does everyone in the room know you didn't choose the year in which you were born? Or the country for that matter? See, God placed you with the parents that would give you the DNA structure, the personality, and all the natural abilities you have to live in this time with this technology, with the personality and all the other powers that you have to serve. And the second thing to note is this, his plans and purposes. God has given you those for his plans and his purposes. Now the question you have to deal with is this, are you are you using what God has given to you for his capital K kingdom or for your little case kingdom? Are you using what God has provided for his purpose or just yours? Is it just about you? Is your work just about what makes you comfortable? Is it just about you getting stuff so you can have it? Is it just about you? Or have you experienced the redeeming love of God that frees you from you, enables you to live for him, to pursue a reward that will never fail or fade, that cannot be stolen and will not rot or rust. So you have to live for something. You have to live for someone. And you can live for stuff and you can live for yourself, things you cannot keep, things that will not endure, or you can live for Christ. Some of you are not Christians in this room. And you need to understand 
that this is as good as it gets for you. This broken, dirty world is as good as it gets for you. But for those of you who trust in Jesus Christ, this is as bad as it gets for us. Working in this broken world, this is as bad as it gets. The good news is he's coming and he brings with him our reward that will be revealed for our obedience. Now, what reward will you have? If you were called home today to give an account for your life, have you baptized anybody? Have you sacrificed financially at all? Have you stepped outside of your comfort zone in any way to serve the purpose of God? Or is it just about you? What about what you're dealing with at work? School, home. Is it going easy? Give him thanks and know you're a minority. Don't talk about it much or we'll talk about you. Most of us here today are facing challenges, but if you're a child of God, I got good news for you. You don't have to depend on circumstances or other people. You can go to the one who transcends all things and you can say a four letter word, one of the most powerful words you can ever say to God, and that word is this, help. Do you need help with a decision? Do you need help in provision? Do you need help with abilities? Do you need help with a circumstance? If you're a child of God, you have a father who has a plan for everything you're facing right now. Ask him for help. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, I know there are some in this place right now who need to give their life to you, who need to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and be saved as a young lady did, young Danica did the last service. And I pray that they'll do that now. Lord, I also know that there are some today who need help. They need help with, with what challenge they're facing. They, they need the help of wisdom for choices. They, they need help to know what you want them to do. They need, to, they need help to know how to do it well, to do it in a way that honors you. They need help to do it in, with a heart for you and, and not out of fear of circumstances or other people. And so, Lord, as, as they come to ask for that help, would you show them particularly what they should ask for? And would you be so gracious as to give them the confidence to know that you will provide, that your plan is perfect, that your grace is sufficient, that you've got them. Thank you for your provision, Lord. As we sing, come and pray this morning.